0: Welcome to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, episode 11.
1: I had to find a system that was equally as flexible for me. I was more focused on foundational knowledge than I was on the minor factoids and focusing on foundational knowledge. You're listening to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, the playbook of those who dominated the USMLE. If you want to learn how to excel on step one and get into the residency of your choice, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join the thousands of others who have mastered step one concepts using physio.com.
2: Hey, everyone, welcome to today's episode. Today, we interview a medical student named Nimra. And to help me with this interview, I'm here with my co host, Rhett Thompson. How's it going, man? Really good. Life's good with me. How about you? Oh, just enjoying life. Let's see. Last night was pretty fun. I have a friend who has been in Texas for the past few years going to dental school, and then he just graduated and has his own practice out there. So he's been out there for a few years, and yeah, just flew back to to visit us and his family on in Utah the other day. So last night, we just kind of hung out, ended up going to a board game store to play some board games and stuff. It was pretty fun. We played a game called Splendor. If any of you guys are into board games, I highly recommend it super fun. Interesting. So you went to the board game store to play board games? Yeah, we were actually, we were going to go to the store to buy one. And then they had all these tables set up and they're like, oh, you can, you can just play here if you want, like try it out and see if you like it. So we shamelessly tried the game and then we left because (laughs) my brother already has it, I guess, and they didn't want to buy another one. Anyways, (laughs) it, it was fun. We're good. So today's guest, as Michael mentioned, is
0: Nimra. She's a fourth-year medical student at Edward Rhea College of Osteopathic Medicine, or VCOM, which is in Blacksburg, Virginia. What was so impressive to me about this interview was just how much grit she has. And her story is so compelling. She had to take step one during third year. And that sounds just horrifying. What was also so cool is, in spite of all that, she just has this calm... Like nice, pleasant personality, you know. It's it's like the composition you'd want, you know, that the combination of grit and pleasantness that you'd want for a general surgeon, and that's what she wants to go into. So it's perfect. Uh, Yeah. So it was just a really cool interview, and she's a
2: really cool person. So let's bring her on. All right, Nimra, welcome to the show. We really appreciate you coming on, and we appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Maybe let's start from the beginning. You could tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself and what got you interested in medicine.
1: So about me, I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. I was actually an English literature major in college, and I went to a small liberal arts college. But what a lot of people don't know is even then, I had every intention of having a career in medicine, specifically being a doctor. What interested me about medicine is medicine from the humanities perspective. A career in medicine, to me, kind of allowed me to exercise all the skills that the humanities kind of helps you cultivate. You have empathy, you have perceptiveness, you deal with end of life issues. And and a lot of medicine and illness force people to reflect whether they want to or not on, you know, our own mortality and our purpose and the type of life you want to live. And I just love the fact that medicine allows you to exercise so many parts of your brain, you can be scientifically inclined, but you can still add an additional layer to it with his literature humanities background, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, no, I I think a lot of people come into medicine from the perspective of a science major. You know, a lot of people are biology majors or chemistry majors. So it's interesting when, you know, you get someone who has kind of like that humanities background. I I think it brings some interesting diversity into medicine for sure.
1: And what people fail to realize is, and what I thought of earlier on is, if you're, going to medical school, you're going to study the same sciences as everyone else for the rest of your life. You know, like we're all going to take the same classes in med school, take the same board exams. So you might as well take that time in undergrad as an opportunity to really expand your horizons to whatever it is you want. Because regardless of whether or not you study English or biology, you know, we're all still taking organic chem, we're all still taking physics, we're all still taking those, those classes that are prereqs and and the MCAT two. Good memories right there. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's favorite. Yeah. I tell people I'm an English major and they think that I don't know the woes of being a pre-med, but I very much still remember those, those woes.
0: <laughs> yeah. You've been through all of it. You've been through the MCAT, which uh still memories. I'm trying to bury
2: <laughs> PTSD from that. You
1: no. and me both. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you got into medical school, you got into VCOM, Edward, via College of Osteopathic Medicine, right? Mm-hmm. And your experience is a little bit unique because, you know, once you got in, you kind of studied for the Comlex, but then after second year, you realized, oh, wow, I actually need to take step one. You were in your third year when you when you had that realization. So maybe you could just take us to that moment in time and what that was like for you.
1: So That moment in time is kind of a bit of a stretched out period for me, Uh, just to preface with that. So, I went into medical school thinking that I wanted to do family medicine. To me, I had a lot of exposure to family medicine doctors and kind of the lifestyle, the scope of practice. And with all those things considered, I told myself if this is what the rest of my life looks like, I'm okay with that, right? So, I went into medical school wanting to do family medicine and Not to say that that's not ambitious, but that's a lot more attainable than something like neurosurgery or orthopedic surgery. And so if you just fared pretty okay throughout medical school and and passed your boards reasonably so, it was an attainable goal. And it's funny looking back now because everyone always tells you, keep an open mind. You never know what you'll end up liking. And I always thought that I had a really good idea of what I wanted. So I studied for and took the Comlex and a lot of people that are in DO schools, will study for and take both comlex and usmle at the same time because a lot of fields traditionally require both or at least you have a competitive edge if you have both like obgyn is a big one emergency medicine is another big one and some of the surgery and especially orthopedic surgeries are the big ones that would like usmle and comlex but for me i decided out you know i wasn't the strongest student i wasn't the worst but let me just tackle comlex and and call it a day so I took comlex and I didn't do as well as I wanted to, but by no means was I out of the running to pursue family medicine. So third year starts and one of my first rotations was general surgery, and I actually had never been in an OR prior to my general surgery rotation third year of medicine, at medical school. So it was a shock in all all forms of the word, you know, like the hours they spend in each case, the lifestyle, the the rounding, the types of procedures they do was all a shock to me in the best way possible. And so I really considered the option of doing general surgery, but very early on I I had to shut that idea off because, first of all, I didn't have a great ComLEX score. And the only way to overcome that would be to take USMLE. I was already in the throes of third year, which comes with its own set of, of obligations. You know, in addition to the hours you're rotating, you're studying for your shelf exams and that was already enough as it is. So taking on USMLE seemed like a really tall order for someone like me. But um, ultimately, I couldn't see myself doing anything different. And I, I danced with the idea over winter break. And then January, I decided to sign up for it. And I studied from January through March. And I took it March 31st of this year.
0: Wow, that sounds like a really stressful way to study for step one. And, and that's speaking from somebody who's actually taken step one and, and is familiar with the experience of doing that and also familiar with the stresses of third year rotations. And that must have been awful to be in that situation where you're thinking that you've got to do rotations during third year and be studying for step one at the same time. Like that that sounds horrendous.
1: It is every probably second year med student's worst nightmare. <laughs> If you think back to dedicated, that was already a hard enough period for you. And all you had to do was just study for boards. And even still, it felt like it was an insurmountable task, right? And then what's worse than studying for USMLE during dedicated is trying to study for USMLE, taking call one of the rotations that I had during those few months. So I studied from January to March. And so it seems like, oh, she had two and a half ish months to study but in reality, the only hours I had to myself were like maybe 8 p.m. upwards to 2 a.m. And through that time, I had some pretty grueling rotations, the worst of which, and I guess the best of which was orthopedic trauma surgery. So that one was exhausting in terms of the hours, but also physically exhausting. If you think manually retracting for general surgery is is a big deal. Try retracting somebody's thigh for hours on end. You know, like you just come home and you are physically exhausted. It was a nightmare, but I, yeah, it was a nightmare, but it was in the best way possible looking back now because it's like, wow, like I, I did that. And so it is possible.
2: We can empathize with you on so many levels here. It's kind of hilarious. So for like people who haven't taken their third year rotations yet, it's probably like a little bit harder to understand this. But for those who have done third year and like experienced some of the rotations, it's just like, wow, how, how do you do that? So what rotations were you on? Just so everyone's on the same page during the you know January to March period.
1: So I had a, the first one was a geriatrics rotation, which shouldn't seem like it's a big deal, but my geriatrics preceptor. So he had a clinic, your traditional eight to five clinic, which his was pretty jam packed with anywhere from 30 plus patients in clinic. And he also was the medical director of a hospice. And so we would go to hospice meetings where, you know, they have their recertifications to continually renew patients on hospice. And then he was also the medical director of a nursing home. So we would do nursing home rounds. After clinic, and then we would round on his patients at the hospital after clinic. And so those days ended up being (laughs) very long. And so geriatrics was one of them. Uh, The orthopedic trauma surgery was another one. And that was actually my elective. So I don't know how specific the requirements are per med schools, but I know, or at least I think a majority of, of third year medical students have like at least one rotation where it's kind of an elective. It's not one of your core like pediatrics, OB you have a little more flexibility with what you schedule there. I don't know if you guys had something similar.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. You know, me and Michael both had that. And I think that's something that most med students experience during their third year, get to get to have some like elective freedom.
1: Yeah. And so for my elective, I wanted to get an elective in surgery just to kind of continue to investigate. And so you always hear about people really enjoying orthopedic surgery and and orthopedic surgeons are pretty happy and pleased with their life and their work and so I was like you know let me give this a try and so the other option outside of general surgery was orthopedic surgery and I had the I don't even know what to call it the pleasure of getting an orthopedic trauma surgery rotation so I just thought I would get called in for just the traumas you know I would kind of be on standby and on call and when a trauma came in you know you came and saw it and that was it On this rotation, you scrubbed into all the elective orthopedic surgery cases and you only broke out when a trauma happened. So it was like the best of two rotations. And that one was also a visiting rotation that I did in a different state. So I was literally living out of the confines of like one big Sterilite tub container with all my clothes and my books and my folding table. And so the hours were long on that one. It was really physical. I didn't have the added comfort of being at home. And that month came and passed really quickly. And then the last one was your internal medicine, a traditional one where we just rounded with hospitalists. And the hospitalist schedule is like seven on seven off per hospitalist. But you as the student, you take, you go all month long, like you don't get the breaks. And so those were my
0: three months. <laughs> so Nimrod, you're, you're depressing me a little bit. And I, and I want to just uh, clarify. So all the listeners who are feeling just really sad and, and down after hearing her story, this is, it turns into a success story. This is a success story. And so why don't we dive deep into what you did to turn this, this whole horror into this great experience where now you have uh, great options ahead of you.
1: Yeah. And so it definitely is, spoiler alert, it does end well. And a lot of, as much as there are disadvantages to studying first step during third year, I think there are a lot of advantages that people don't see. And especially as a first and second year student, you definitely don't know about because you're typically more in control of your own time. And the very few times that quote unquote, your schedule doesn't go according to plan, you kind of lose it. And you, you, it takes you a minute because you're like, oh, my cram fighter schedule, I'm off by a day or, you know, this lecture went on for an hour more than it should have. And those little things trip you up. Whereas, and you guys can obviously sympathize in third year, you have absolutely zero control of your schedule. And third year, you're going to have to make the best of that as best as you know how, you know, like you don't get to sleep when you want, you don't get to eat when you want, you don't get to go to the restroom when you want. And so you you learn flexibility very early on. And I think that flexibility that I had learned the first half of third year is really what propelled me to study for those three months between January and March, because now I knew how to make the best of an unideal situation. So let's say I got off later than I wanted to, I knew when I got off, let's say I was supposed to, like, we were on call 6am to 6pm. And I got home at 8pm. I knew better than to cry over spilled milk. I was like, okay, well, focus on the things you do have control over. And you get a lot better at time management, because you have even less free time to yourself. And so first order of business, the first day in January, I took the World Sim 1, just to kind of see where I stood. Because at this point, I was, I was pretty far out of, of dedicated studying for comlex it had been six months so you know those minute facts were all gone to me so i took uworld sim one and i passed and so i was like okay this is this is promising and so i had to find kind of like a system that was equally as flexible for me and i definitely changed some things than the way i did for dedicated for comlex i was more focused on foundational knowledge than i was on the minor factoids and not to give anyone a heart attack but i didn't open first aid at all during step studying, which I know to second years just seems like blasphemy. But um uh, that was I had to let it go. I, I didn't have the time or the luxury to, to tote around first aid and, and study all the little factoids in it. So I was more focused on studying smarter and harder. So less resources and really just focusing on foundational knowledge.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's important because I, I think step one really likes to approach questions from that perspective. Do you have a really strong foundational knowledge on certain topics?
1: Speaking of approaching questions, another thing that I think I did better, way better second time around studying for step one versus Comlex is learning to become a better test taker. And that doesn't mean you're skimping out on learning your foundations. I think it just means you, you become more aware of how to critically think. So like, for example, when I'm doing these UWorld questions, if and when a question tells you something like someone has a 30 pack year of smoking, they're telling me this person has cancer or some significant risk for cancer. If you learn to read the questions like that, more often than not the question is going to guide you to the right answer. Is it infectious in etiology? Is there a genetic component, a family history? Why are they telling you about an aunt and a an uncle and a husband? You know, you learn how to take a test better and I really think that makes a difference.
0: I think that's a really good point. I think you know me and Michael have had a lot of experience writing questions and doing a lot of questions and just like anybody would who's done third year of med school up to this point years of doing questions we've realized that if you can think like a question writer then you have that insight and you start to recognize why certain details would or would not be present and and I think you're right you know when you think of something like that like somebody with a with an extensive smoking history you want to to be thinking of some of those those items, you know, to think critically, like they put that in for a reason.
1: Or they immigrated from a place means that they didn't have the same vaccine schedule or, you know, what infectious bugs are more common in or endemic in places like Asia that we don't have here in the US. And that becomes part of your arsenal at that point. And I think you guys also touch on that shameless plug during your physio videos, because, you know, you guys walk through, let's say a module you're doing, A pulmonary module and after the module or during it you even stop and ask a question you're like okay well let's take this a step further like what can we extrapolate from just this basic concept you know so i think even you guys understand the importance of that and kind of train the student along the way while you're watching these physio modules to even if you weren't thinking critically before let's take it that step further every single time
2: yeah i think that's really
0: great advice And uh, thank you, by the way. Appreciate that shameless plug. We're not even paying her. It was just, honestly, she's just awesome and making us look awesome. So you used physio Mm -hmm. and you didn't use first aid. And that is so impressive. And you're right in that that is a very unusual thing. Like, I've never heard of anybody saying that.
1: I can hear you trembling. (laughs)
0: Like, yeah, it's a crazy thing to hear. So you're limited on time. The first thing you do is basically ditch first aid. You didn't read a page of that, but you, you used physio and what else did you use?
1: So, um, like I said previously, I, the focus was foundational knowledge. And so for me, the main things that I did foundationally were, and I was pleasantly surprised. So I remembered physio from second year, which for me is like a little less than two years ago. And you guys had just the standard physiology at that point, And that was great. But I just remember when it came time to making that game plan for USMLE studying earlier this year, I was like, okay, what resources are worth the time? Because I mean, there are a ton of video options everywhere. You have boards and beyond, you have USMLE RX, you have physio, you have Pathoma. you know, all of these are great resources. But in terms of what's going to be the biggest bang for your buck, right? And so when I was going back to weigh options, like I went back to physio, and that's when I saw you guys have expanded so much since then, y'all have anatomy, biochem, pretty much it became a lot more of a all in one inclusive resource. So that's, that's a huge part of what my my game plan was, because I had three major resources, I had physio, I had sketchy, and I had UWorld. world. And the focus was building a strong foundation and that was really how I was able to do it. So those were the resources. And I think part of what was different in my studies strategy for step one versus COMLEX. and feel free to chime in. So for COMLEX, when I took it traditionally between the the summer between second and third year, I was told to always do my UWorld questions on random because that simulates the exam, you know, like you'll get a pulmonary question after a cardio after a renal, you're not always going to get the same ones. And so I was always told to do your U-World blocks on random because they simulate the exam. And so that's what I did for Comlex. But at this point, the with less time and needing to get the most out of it, what I did differently for USMLE, which I think worked in my advantage, was actually doing blocks of whatever I was covering. So what I did was I would first watch the entire physio module for, let's say, pulmonology. Then I would do the sketchy, Arm for pulmonology. And then I would do U-world questions on pulmonology. And I think the fear is being able to use that as a crutch. Well, if you're in a pulmonology block and you get a question where you don't know the answer to, you'll be more inclined to choose the answer that seems like it gravitates towards pulmonology. But I think that concern is overblown because I feel like that happens less often than it's feared, if that makes sense. Like there are very few times where you feel stuck on a question and you rely on the fact that, oh, this is a pulmonology block. So I'm going to choose the answer that deals with the lungs the most, if that makes sense. And I don't know if you guys had a different experience with how you did UWorld. world.
2: Well, yeah, we, I certainly did. I mean, I shared your sentiment during the first and second years that everyone was like, yeah, you got to do random 40 question blocks. And so that's what I did. But since doing this podcast, we've realized that actually quite a few people have taken that approach of, you know, doing the, the timed not random. And I think there are definitely pros and cons to both, but I I think you bring up some valid points. And I think for for a lot of people, that strategy is the best way to go.
1: But I also felt like doing those blocks subject-based, I felt like my performance on those blocks was a better indicator of my understanding. And I really felt like not only could I gauge how well I understood the material better, I felt like it reinforced. So if I just watch videos for poem and I just watch the sketchy for poem, and then I see a question that's kind of has the right buzzwords for things I saw, whatever I thought was going to fall to the wayside of whatever I learned was being reinforced constantly by doing questions and reading the explanations. And so I really felt like it gave me more bang for my buck because I was running on on less time than somebody who's in a real dedicated period. And so that would actually be, I wouldn't say my advice because the best advice I would give someone is to do what works best for them. But um, that would definitely be something I would I would highly ask that people consider Giving it a
2: try? Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's great advice. I think a lot of people should definitely try it. If I could go back and do it, I think I probably would have maybe tried a couple blocks the way you're describing, and a couple blocks on random timed, and see what felt better, and kind of weigh the the pros and cons of both, just so you kind of have an idea of what works for you personally. But I think that's great advice.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that, as Michael mentioned, since doing this podcast, we've just been able to interview so many people, and and then just on our interactions with so many thousands of students throughout the throughout the world after starting physio we just realized that a lot of students are actually using UWorld in the way that you're describing and and if nothing else if that's not the right way for somebody if nothing else you can at least know that that's not the wrong way you know there's not a right or a wrong way it's all about what's effective and that's what's really interesting cuz as a second year student nervous preparing for a board exam if somebody ahead of you in the year ahead of you tells you just do random full 40 blocks that's all you got to do, and that's what you need to do to succeed. It's hard to, you know, be able to to take that with the grain of salt that you should.
1: Exactly, and we all know of like so much bad advice that, and well-meaning. I'll say that you know they meant well. It either worked for them or worked for somebody they knew. But I think we all can share at least one piece of advice where you heard it and you really considered it and kind of fought with the idea for a bit because that upperclassman swore by it. And for me, the silliest thing that I think that I took on was. There's this nefarious Anki deck, Encephalon. It has like thousands of cards. And essentially that deck of cards is the entirety of first aid in flashcard form. And so everyone always says, you know, do that deck, do a little bit per day. And by the end of it, you'll know all the nitty gritty cytokines that are going to come up in questions on US Emily that you'd be expected to know. And I, I'm almost <laughs> embarrassed to say how long I struggled with trying to keep up with that deck. Before I realized, okay, this is not working for me. I don't know if you guys had a similar experience where you really tried to consider something that's people swore by and it just it just wasn't for you.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people have that experience. I mean, you look around at all your classmates, right? And you're comparing yourself, like, oh, so and so is using Firecracker and so and so is using Boards and Beyond, and they're using U World, and you know, what should I use? And so, you know, you start to experiment. But yeah, you really have to find what works for you. That's important. So, okay, so you, you started in January and you had limited time. If I recall correctly, you were saying oftentimes you'd get home around eight and then you would study until like two in the morning. Is that right? Is that what you said? Yeah. Wow. That sounds brutal. So you basically didn't sleep for two or three months, right? Is that what you're telling us?
1: And it's funny because I chuckle thinking about it now, like I, you know, having passed USMLE and, and having done in the range of the scores needed for general surgery, like I And my own worst nightmare, if I was a second year still, you know, like they tell you to make sure you eat right and make sure you're sleeping because you need that time to, your brain needs that time to process and reinforce. But for me, I was living off of just fumes at that point and really just pure dedication because it's like, so I would get home like sometimes around 8 p.m., have something really quick to eat and then go till at least two. And sometimes I would have to be up again by like 5 a.m. because for surgery rounds, they round anywhere from six, six thirty 30 ish. And so you have to be up and, and add it for that. And then you have a whole another long day and maybe you get weekends off, but, and for me, the added trouble of trying to balance the, the third year obligations and making sure I still knew what I was supposed to know for third year without falling behind one or the other. So it was a pretty treacherous, but I hope it's, inspiring more than daunting to say that, hey, like you could have had a less than ideal experience during your dedicated if you had to take Comlex and you're, you're battling with the idea of taking step one. It's totally possible. And it's becoming more and more of a topic of consideration now that this whole merger situation is happening. And so I think a lot more students are going to find themselves in similar circumstances. So I just want to like impart my my experience and say, Hey, you know, if I could do it and I'm not some stellar student, like it's completely possible. You just need a game plan and you just need that dedication and just, just go for it.
0: So real quick, I just want to make sure I understand you basically two and a half months. So about 10 weeks worth of studying for step one. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you got so 10 weeks and then about six hours a day tops
1: at best studying for step one Mm -hmm. at best
0: at best. So so that's being generous yeah. and then multiply that by seven, the number of days in a week and you get about 420 hours.
2: That's yeah, six times, seven times 10 weeks. So 420 hours. That's not very much.
1: It felt like yeah, that's an the... eternity. <laughs> <Towards> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm end, sure it did. I was <laughs> like, this is never going to end. I just, I was all out of it by the end. I mean, it just felt like an eternity.
2: Oh, I'm sure because you were getting like two hours of sleep a night, like. How can anyone do that? <laughs> that sounds really impressive. Uh really hard, but really impressive. So I have so many questions for you. First of all, that's insane. I'm and really I don't know great. how you did it.
1: And I just okay, want to yeah, myself, if you don't believe me. So I have a really small Instagram and the reason I have it is because quite frankly, I'm tired of medical Instagrams. Like I, I hate these flat lays with these lattes and these stethoscopes and cute scrubs and cute hair. And I'm like, this is not what med school is like. And that's not to say that med school isn't a great experience. I still wouldn't imagine doing anything differently, but I think we're misleading others. And quite frankly, we're misleading ourselves a bit by falling into that. And so the premise of my really small kind of side Instagram is the fact that, hey, These days are really long, and they're really filled, and you're constantly being tried. But if you keep at it day by day, little by little, you'll grow so much into the person that you wanted to be and that you dreamed that you would be one day. And it's not a, a beautiful, graceful, linear process, they're going to be really high highs, they're going to be really low lows. But so uh, literally on my Instagram stories, I share an inordinate amount of inspirational quotes, and just like the ugliest flat lays of like, with, you know, timestamps of like, it's 230 in the morning, and I've been sitting in the seat since 8pm. And that's what it's like. <laughs> But It's still great. And it's still worth it. But we need to be more realistic about portraying that because then it's like, there is somewhat of a crisis in medical training. And part of the reason that I don't think that it's getting its fair share of attention is because I feel like we're continuing to mislead people and say, it's all great on this side, we can handle it, which we can, but it, it's not as graceful as it looks, if that makes sense. So I say that to say, if somebody doesn't believe that that's what I was doing, feel free to to look at that Instagram feed and those ugly pictures of my ugly notes and my ugly scrubs. And I still think <laughs> so it's, it's You've Richard. got photographic evidence of... Yes. <laughs> With time stamps and all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you used the three resources, UWorld, uh, Physio, and Sketchy. So were you able to get through all three of them in their completion?
1: physio for the most part yes that was like my main one because i felt like it was the most foundational like i was like and i knew i wouldn't have time to get through everything so if i could get through few things and do them well then i would be okay so physio was the big one because i kind of had to rebuild a foundation right like i i had been out of of the traditional bookwork of of the first 2 years for at least 6 months at that point so relearning like the different pathways for different processes. I can't even give you an example at this point. But you know, just relearning all the little nitty-gritty things. Physio was my big one for that. And then U World was actually hand in hand with that because a majority of the value of U World, as you guys know, is is in the explanations, not just for the questions you got wrong, but for every single question. Like, why was the right answer right? Maybe you got it right and you didn't get the rationale right. And so I read those explanations and I did Physio was a majority of it. Sketchy, I had watched from dedicated like six months prior. So I was vaguely familiar with it. So that was kind of like a second tier resource. And I barely maybe touched Pathoma for like GI and maybe one other organ system. But at that point, I just truly didn't have the time to dedicate to as many things that I wanted to. And that's just the reality.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Did you do all of UWorld then during that period of time?
1: I did 82 percent or something like that. And I only remember this because I took a screenshot of it for myself, just, you know, keeping record. I did a good majority of it.
2: Had you done any world prior to that during your dedicated for for the Comlex?
1: Yeah, but it wasn't my primary resource. For Comlex, we have uh, ComBank is a big one and ComQuest is another one. And what kind of trips people up, whether they know it or not, is we get told constantly, or at least our professors at VCOM, very clearly told us there is a difference in question styles. UWorld is a great resource and it it very it very well simulates USMLE. Like by the time I took USMLE, it didn't even feel like I was t- the nerves of of taking a board exam didn't exist because I just felt like it was just another day of doing a million questions. And so the stress wasn't there because it, it resembled UWorld resembled USMLE flawlessly. But with Comlex, the questions are known for being a lot more vague and written in kind of like a convoluted way for no apparent reason. And so sometimes people do themselves a disservice if that's their sole resource for Comlex, just because you can know all the material you want. But like we touched on earlier, knowing how to dissect a question is equally as important as knowing the material itself.
2: Yeah. So, so if I understand right, then it sounds like you use different Q banks, mostly for Comlex. And the majority of what you did for U World was during that short period of time. And you got through, you know, 80 plus percent of it during that short period of time. That's, that's incredible, especially with the limited time you had and, you know, your, your split time between physio and sketchy and U World. That's, that's impressive. You must have been using that time very efficiently, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, very early on, I realized that I had to have a plan. So very early on, I didn't watch hardly any TV at all. I didn't do anything extracurricular. The only thing that I would do is just working out three times a week for minimum 30 minutes. And that was like my my only break. And so finishing UWorld took a lot of time. And so there's a lot of apps that I use to, to stay focused. There's Flora, there's focused, there's self-control. So it all, it all wasn't intrinsically motivated. I definitely had help of technology. And so I would just lock myself out of, you know, social media being a big one, Amazon being another big one. And so I couldn't access those websites, even if I wanted to, because I was locked out from the self-control app, which I highly recommend <laughs> because your brain <laughs> tends to advice. wander, right? Like when you're studying and you, you doze off a little, like your brain tends to be like, oh, now's a good time to buy replacement curtains, or now's a good time to do something that you absolutely have no business doing. And so I would just before I had a chance to think twice about it, I would just populate my self control app and start it. And so whether I wanted to be focused or not, I didn't have a choice. And then slowly by the end of it, you were just so used to not having an option to be distracted that it got a little easier.
0: That's a cool method. I've never I've never heard of that uh, in terms of, you know, for medical students, I've heard of Famous authors doing things like that, like locking themselves in a cabin for a weekend and and not not taking any technology with them, and until like that's so boring that they have to have to like start writing. And so if it works, it works. I, I never thought of uh, using that for for board prep.
1: There are two ways that you'll end up failing. One is like if you have something fundamentally wrong in your plan, like if you think that you could watch six hours of movies a day, there's just no way you're going to get through all your material, right? But then what people don't realize is like the little creeps day in and day out. So I have a MacBook and so you can populate your iMessages on your your laptop. And so for me, it was just always convenient because I was like, oh, you know, I could just send a quick text without having to access my phone. But then there were so many times where those quick texts would end up being conversations. So another huge thing I did was I uncoupled text messages from my laptop. So it got into a point where I would just check my text messages every two minutes. And I was like, okay, I don't have time for this. So I uncoupled it. And after a few weeks, I realized I wouldn't subconsciously click on the messaging icon because I knew that there was nothing there. And then, um, the self-control app is is a really big one too.
2: Yeah. I think that's great advice for a lot of people. So just to be clear, did you use MBME during this time at all, or did you not use any of those?
1: (laughs) I had every intention to, (laughs) And I had every intention to do a lot of things. The only two practice tests I took were the, and I'm telling you, this story freaks me out saying it out loud in retrospect, but I promise you this ended just fine. I took that one UWorld Sim the first day that I started studying to make a game plan. And I the only other exam I took was UWorld Sim 2. And I literally took that 48 hours before step. And that was probably... That's something they tell you also is a bad idea to do. But at this point, everything I did was a, a bad idea. So those were the only two that I took.
0: Okay. <laughs> You're like, nothing about this plan is ideal. Swear, um, I'm just going to take this 48 you, hours. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. But I, I promise you it ended fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So so you took step one um, after all of that horror of you know juggling so many things and trying to squeeze in, trying to be efficient with your time and effective and focused you took it and succeeded on it. And now from talking to you, it sounds like your your position now as a candidate for general surgery is good. Like you can, you're now, everything's changed for you. And do and you want to like, tell us kind of what you're feeling and what your, your thought process is and kind of since having taken step one?
1: It's in retrospect, everything, it's just so worth it. A lot of times when I would kind of get down, because like I said previously, you know, Our lives don't work in linear processes. It's not like you start from one step and you just have this upward climb towards success, right? Like you have really high highs, really low lows. During that time, I ended up getting incredibly sick. Part of it is like you're just in a hospital environment. So I was on my internal medicine rotation and I'm sure my immune system wasn't that great to begin with. I got flu A and flu B, which wiped me out for a good couple of days. And that just, that kind of broke my morale. And there were a few points along the way that did break my morale. And what I would just tell myself when I would have those moments is, so when I feared that I would have an equally bad outcome, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm coming into step studying, not having done so great on Comlex. And sometimes that fear would paralyze me. I would just tell myself that I would, you know, maybe I'm, I'm better off not trying. But when you fear a decision like that, what I've learned to do is ask yourself two questions. So one, what's the worst that could happen if that fear came true? So like, let's say I had this fear that I failed step one, my fear being that I failed and I wouldn't be able to to apply for general surgery. And so the second question would be, what happens if I don't try? And how does that compare to that worst possibility? So again, for me, the outcome would be, well, if I didn't take step at all, I wouldn't have the option of applying the general surgery, right? So either way, there was no way that I could put myself in a worse position than I was already in. Like I only had something to gain, right? And so just think I would tell myself that constantly that I have this option to kind of redeem myself, to open these doors that I wanted and open these doors that I wanted for myself. Like I had another added benefit of studying for USMLE during third years. I had a very tangible experience with what I loved and I had a very tangible experience of of the type of of life that I wanted and what I wanted out of that. And so like I would just, close my eyes and kind of remind myself like of how good it felt to be in on my surgery rotations and how fulfilling that felt for me. And if I wanted that, it was going to take a bit of work.
0: I was just thinking it's a very, very impressive experience, everything that you're sharing. So just the mental fortitude that it would require for you to just to have that rational perspective and think like, well, what's the worst if I fail? What's, what's the worst if I don't try? And thinking, being able to not only think that rationally when you're not sleeping and on in surgery and medicine and all these rotations trying to study for step, just that demonstrates such grit. And so I think it's very fitting that you want to go into general surgery because I've often heard, in fact, I think there's a book called Grit. Uh-huh, My wife read it and told me about Downport. it. And they talk about like, yeah, are you familiar with that?
1: Yeah, funny, because there was a lot of soul searching that happened during those three months. And so I became familiar with the concept of grit and just the the role of of mental fortitude and and visualizing your goals and really working towards those day by day. There was a lot of that development that happened alongside this step studying process. Like I had to go, you know, let go of like thoughts and patterns that didn't serve me, like doubt doesn't do anyone any good. And you just have to, and learning to get past that and learning to get past those hard days. And so I definitely became familiar with Angela Duckworth's work on grit. And I definitely identified with that. Looking back now, I surprised myself even, and I surprised the people that I, my fellow classmates and, and my friends, because we all jokingly like say, we could not have seen me doing general surgery, not in a rude way, but because I'm this like artsy, you know, liberal arts girl and and loves the patient interaction part of things and loves the humanities and these bigger questions. And surgeons are typically seen as pretty cold and and they don't have a lot of interaction with their patients when they're, you know, not sedated. But there was just so much joy that I got out of general surgery from the sense that in order to be successful as a general surgeon, the difference is going to be mind over matter, essentially. Like, We've all had experiences on a general surgery rotation where we had to go to the bathroom, but we had to hold it because you can't break sterile field, right? Or your stomach's eating itself because you're so hungry, but you just can't leave because you're in this surgery, right? And in order to be successful during that rotation, and I think as a surgeon in general, you have to always be mind over matter. Like you have to control your thoughts and conquer your mind, conquer your fears and your insecurities in order to be a successful general surgeon. And I just love the idea that I could be that person and that general surgery could be that gateway for me to become that is how I fell in love with general surgery. And
2: yeah. Well, that, that's really awesome, Nimra. We just want to say congratulations. That's a really awesome achievement that you were able to succeed on step one, despite having to do that during a very hectic time. And, you know, despite your experience being probably pretty unique, I think there are a lot of important lessons for everyone to learn from your experiences. I agree. Just the, the sheer grit that, you know, that we've been talking about and being flexible, making a plan that works for you. I, I think there are a lot of important and valuable lessons to be learned here. So we really appreciate you, uh, you know, sharing your experience with us and coming on the show. Before we let you go, is there any last parting words of advice that you'd like to share with someone who's studying for step one?
1: Definitely. And I think the biggest point, if I could just get this across to somebody, I think this would be like a successful outcome is the fact that just because you're not where you want to be doesn't mean that you don't have the capacity or the potential to become that. If your grades didn't look like what you wanted them to first or second year, I sympathize. If you're knee deep and dedicated and it's just taking out a lot more than you thought that you had to give, I sympathize. And all those things said, if you just keep Plugging along and keep going for it and keep believing that it is something that you can achieve. I truly, truly believe that it can happen for you. And I can say that from experience because it did happen for me. And now I remember the question that I got lost on was you guys asked me what was the outcome of ta- having taken step one. And so I took it. And good news being, my step score qualifies me for general surgery to apply for general surgery residency, whereas my Comlex score does not. And I was able to to secure a few audition rotations, which are, are traditionally more important for more osteopathic focused residencies, but now they're merging. So in order to, to apply for some advanced electives or sub eyes or audition rotations, you have to meet certain score cutoffs. The places where my Comlex score disqualifies me, my STEP score qualifies me now. And so I'm hoping, obviously I'm not at the point where I've matched, but it's a lot more promising. And I think the biggest thing that the STEP Journey did for me wasn't just the score itself, but the change in mindset that it's allowed me to have, that I hope for for other people, and just to show them that that progress is not going to happen overnight, and it's not going to be glamorous, and it's not going to be all rainbows, but it's it's so worth it, and you can do it. And again, my shameless plug: <laughs> a huge part of the reason that this was a successful endeavor was physio. Like, there's just no other way that I could put it because I was crunched on time. I don't have time to dig for. I didn't have that time to kind of experiment with. Okay, does this work? Does this not? Does is okay? This professor is good at explaining anatomy, but isn't so great at explaining physiology, or isn't so great at explaining biochem. And you guys had solid content across the board, and I just, I could not, I truly just could not have have had a successful journey without without physio. And that's just that.
2: Well, that makes us a uh, really really happy to hear. And uh, we, we're really glad that it's, you know, helping people like you and that our content is you know, useful. So thanks for sharing your experience. We're really glad that it was so helpful. Yeah. Thank
0: you, Nimrod. This is, that uh, makes our day to hear stuff like that. So thank you. Yeah. And thanks for coming on the podcast and thanks for all of your words of wisdom for our listeners and hope you have a good day.
1: Thanks. And thanks for having me. And if you guys need anything, feel free to reach out or anyone needs any inspo, feel free to message me or email me or whatever. We've all been there.
0: Hey everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to go to our website at physio.com to check out our growing library of free step one videos. You can also find our physio group on Facebook to join our growing community of students preparing for step one. If you've been enjoying the episodes and have been getting value from the content, here are three easy ways that you can support us. One, press the subscribe button on the platform you're listening to this on. Two, leave us a review. To do that, just go to physio.com slash podcast. Three, find your friends who are in medical school or interested in medical school and tell them about the podcast. Thanks for listening and join us next time.